This is the S-Ra Podcast. Trying out the new intro. This is the first debut of the new intro. I'm also video recording this podcast. So this podcast will not only be available on Apple and Spotify, which is the norm, it's also going to be available on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. That's the Ezra Podcast on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. You can find my face or at least hear my voice. You know what I mean? And you could decide for yourself if I have a face for, t- uh, you know, YouTube or do I have a, you know, face for podcast. So you want to listen on Spotify and you're trying to see my face. Either way, you decide. I give you all the options. You really basically make the choices from there. But we have a lot to talk about. This was a big fight weekend, a groundbreaking fight weekend. And some people are kind of, you know, want to doubt how, you know, what the importance was or if we're making a big deal because it was two women fighting and it's just how, you know, people, you know, they call it the woke mob. You know, they try to make the significant things of something that really people don't care about. But I don't think that's the case here. I really think that this did capture the imagination of the audience and it did. Um, you know, I got this hair on top of my head. I, I for those who are just listening, I had, I had like the hair Superman thing going. You know, the hair. It didn't look bad, honestly. I was, as I was watching and looking at my face, it, it it didn't look bad at all. So if if you're listening on audio and you you can't see what it looked like, it, it looked pretty damn good. But you know what? I know that someone's gonna make a comment or someone's gonna be like, oh, you know, he thinks he looks good with it. And the truth is, I did, but I couldn't just leave it there for some reason because I just you know someone's gonna be like, oh, what the hell, is this guy? You know, he thinks he looks good with Superman haircut, right? With a little twirl in the front. And, you know what? I, I do, but I said I got out of the way. I don't want to distract you. If I'm the first time doing this, of uh, my regular podcast. Okay, sorry, I got a. Uh, my mic was unplugged. But I think we're. My mic was unplugged. I apologize, but we're back. We're good to go. Um, I think all these damn wires. It's, everything's so sensitive. If I move around here, this whole damn thing turns off. It's like I and I'm, I'm a very like I like to move when I talk, and I can't I can't move when I talk because there's too many damn wires here. Everything needs to be wireless. I don't know if, that, if that's even possible. If I'm cheap and just buying everything with a grip of wires, but it, everything needs to be wireless. That's it. Now there shouldn't be any more wires. I feel like we're past that point, right? Technology's there, right? My TV does it all. I got my fo- my phone does it all, but I still have a thousand wires to plug anything in. It doesn't make any sense. But let's get to the fights. We had Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor, and I'm going to say right now that was a fight of the year. And I'm not overdoing it just because it's two women or the moment or everything. It, all those things add or the or cherry on top to the whole situation. But it was just a great fight, an amazing fight. And if people are trying to compare it to Fundora Lubin, and really that was a one sided fight. I mean, it was. Uh, Fedora the whole way, if we'll be honest with you. Now, it was an inside fight. It was a telephone, uh, what do they call it? A telephone, what the hell's the expression? It, it was an inside fight. It was they fought right on top of each other. And, um, but it was one-sided. And Lubin had that one round where he drops Fundora, and I get that it caused a lot of drama and a, a lot of uh, excitement and all those things. But really, it was a one-sided fight. It was one-sided beatdown, and it ended up going that way for Fundora. Now, in the... In MMA and the UFC, they give a lot of credit to a guy that could go through a beating like that. If you look at Calvin Cater versus Max Holloway, it's a one-sided fight. Max Holloway's destroying it, but a lot of credit's given to Calvin Cater because he's able to take that beating all you know all five rounds. In the, uh, in boxing, it's not really how it works, but that's what we're kind of trying to give credit to Fondora and Lubin for doing. Um, to me, Fondora and Lubin wasn't the fight of the year even before this fight. I had a uh, Conlin. Versus um, Wood as LA Wood versus as my fight of the year and also the leader in my knockout for knockout of the year. So it wasn't even the fight of the year for that, but people try and compare it. Serrano and Katie Taylor 
was legitimately competitive from the for opening round to the last round. It was legitimately competitive every round, besides the round where Saran almost had Katie Taylor out on her feet. Okay, it was competitive the whole time. The skill level, right? You're also seeing the two best possible, possibly two best women boxers in the world find each other. Definitely the two best of their like around their weight class, right? They're definitely the two best at the at the moment right now around their weight class. They also raised each other's games. There was uh, someone getting hurt, right? There was uh, adjustments being made. There were ebbs and flows to a boxing fight. And it did end in the flurry, right? It did end in an all-out flurry where they, like, I haven't really had those flurries like that since 90s. I'm talking about De La Hoya, Corte, Mosley, De La Hoya. There's going to be a lot of De La Hoyas in this scenario. Uh, Corrales, Castillo. Where, they'll, 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 where it's just like two guys just saying like, you know, or two women in this case, just saying, I'm going to go for it. I, my, my will and skill versus your will and skill. And the, who's got it? That's basically how this fight ended. It was amazing. And the, the fact that it did it when it needed to, right? It it captured the moment when it needed to capture the moment. It, it had everything. All eyes were on it, right? If this would have flopped, right? Like it couldn't flop. It really couldn't. It would have it hurt. Uh, women's boxing but there's things that happen and they, they they just come together perfectly and there's big moments and they turn around whole things right like boxing's in a very good place right now but you're always looking to see like what's the thing that could lead this to growth right what's the thing that could um let's see, let me just fix a few fix a few things real quick on this audio and uh, what's the things that could lead it to more growth, more popularity. And I, and I said last year, I said women's boxing is the key to additional growth in boxing, right? If you're looking for see where boxing can gain fans, gain momentum, it's women's boxing. It has the most room for growth. And that, I believe it that when I had said that, that the talent was there. And I was talking about Katie Taylor. I was talking about Manus Ron. I was talking about numerous other fighters. as such as Terry Harper, now Alicia Bumgarner, Clarissa Shields, Savannah Marshall, uh, um, Estrada, there's numerous fighters, especially like there's ones also in Europe. Like Europe has a good level. Oh, also Natasha Jonas, who I now think is like underappreciated for how good she really is, especially with the fight that she gave uh, Katie Taylor, um, Michaela Mayer. So there's all this level of talent now that is entering the field of boxing, and they, they weren't getting the necessarily attention, but I could see it building up. I could see that coming, and I could see that there was room to growth because the women's boxing is is not highly you know, sought after, and it's not given a lot of publicity. It's not even talked about a lot. So I knew that that room growth was there. And people don't remember that the UFC, you know, the first they were against women's fighting. Like, yeah, Dana White, he was like, ah, I don't think anyone wants to see two women fight. And a lot of the times, like the thing where the UFC had all this growth, it was against, you know, it was actually um, in spite of what their decision-making was. They were against women's fighting. Ronda Rousey, the growth that she brought to the UFC and to MMA in general, it was amazing. And they were against that. This wasn't a decision that they were like, oh, we're going to implement women's fighting. No, they were against it. They would, they were not for it. Ronda Rousey was just a huge, huge, um, was getting a lot of attention while she was in strike force, right? And you had, uh, you had Cyborg there. You had also um, Gina Carano there. They were getting attention, but Ronda Rousey was getting some kind of buzz. It was just a little different. When the UFC brought over, it was just a massive explosion. It didn't, humongous things for the UFC cannot go under, uh, cannot go, it, it, I guess, I don't know, you, you, you cannot really 
no one has ever really talked about or really even put like I guess the data in of what the numbers were for when Ronda Rousey fought and the attention that brought of like casual fans as far as even like women they were probably watching UFC because like their husband or the boyfriend but now they were fully invested you had young girls that were watching it now then you had uh men that were against the women's fighting now fully open to it right women's fighting and we're now uh she was main eventing you were ordering pay-per-views to watch her this opens up a whole new thing right a whole new set of eyes this brings in a whole new set of fans it's a whole new set of attention for sports so this could be very huge in boxing and i think that this happened we all saw it happen at the perfect time another thing where it happened and i'm thinking use ufc because ufc is fairly new so we kind of all i kind of like grew up watching these big things happen to cause it to grow to where it is today ultimate fighters you see the ufc was failing right they were even thinking about selling it right dana white was selling the freighters brothers that maybe we, um we should sell it and just cut our losses right i feel apologized that you know i talked you guys into buying this it did it's not working out he had the ultimate fighter right they had a, a, a reality show and the finale which was on spike tv had a guys forrest griffin and stephen bonner fight each other now uh you know, the Ultimate Fighter, it wasn't like, uh, it's not like it was like taking the world by storm when this happened, this reality TV show. And But there was a free fight right on Spike. And when this these guys fought, and no one was guessing like this is going to be an amazing fight. It was one of the greatest fights in MMA history. And especially it was probably like in the top five like UFC fights of all time. Especially because just even what it meant, right? Because w- that one fight drew in a lot of eyeballs. And... They, they were looking at, like, the, the the views, right, or the viewership of it. That one fight, like, caused them to, like, triple their viewership. That means that people were just calling people, like, you got to watch this fight. You got to see what's happening in this fight. And it's an amazing fight. And it needed to happen at that time. And that got the ball rolling for, like, the UFC to finally start getting, like, consistent viewers. People to be interested. People talking about the sport. It was, it was that moment. So, I just, this reminded me of that, kind of like that moment for... In the, in the UFC, that's kind of what was for women's boxing. It needed to deliver. It did deliver. It had all eyeballs on it, and no one was disappointed. So you could, any, Everyone's going to be talking about it. It's just a great fight. There's, probably, there's going to be a rematch, which I kind of figured there'd be a rematch. Kind of either way this fight went, but there's going to be a rematch, and it's going to be way more hyped uh, than it already was, which was extremely hyped. I think it made two stars, too. That's another thing I think it did. I think it made two stars. Um, as far as the fight, and how, let me break down how that went. It kind of went the way I thought it was going to go, but it it didn't uh, see what I predicted, what I had said the way it was going to end. It didn't end that way. It went the way I thought it was going to go. So it went with Serrano applying pressure. It went with Katie Taylor on uh, her back foot, just moving really on her bicycle, the whole, uh, whole beginning parts of the fight and not really getting her sprints in because I thought she would be attacking more in the beginning of the fight. She kind of couldn't. She was just kind of like backpedaling the whole time. Doesn't mean she wasn't winning the early rounds because the early rounds were close. Like first three rounds were, were super close, I thought. First two especially. That you kind of could have went either way. I kind of favored Katie Taylor a little bit, but I the pressure Serrano was bringing was like she was setting the tone for the kind of pressure she was going to bring. And sometimes not the pressure is just not just the punches you're throwing, but it's the, what I like to call it as is like, the range pressure, right? She's bringing pressure with her range. She's keeping you in range the whole time. So it's constantly making you work, think, move, uh, act offensively or defensively. It's forcing your hand. And that's what she did to Katie Taylor. She was just forcing her hand, forcing her hand, forcing her hand. And that's what I kind of thought was going to happen. I think Katie Taylor was going to be able to land anything that really 
hold Serrano back, and she did it. And then Serrano started eventually did start landing, right? She was eventually started putting it on her, and in the fourth round, she's really putting it on her, and in the fifth round, she nearly breaks her, right? She hurts Taylor, and Taylor's really on survival that whole round and taking a beating and it looks almost out on her feet. It looks like from that point, you're like, okay, this fight's over. Serrano broke her. And I thought that could have been a 10, a round. Like I, I, I scored, I scored it a 10, a round for, um, Serrano. And from that point at the end of that run, you're thinking, well, this fight's over. Kate Taylor. First of all, she was been sprinting around the ring the whole fight. Then she gets broken. Right, and she looks like she can barely move. She out of her feet. It's so like you're just thinking, like she's spent everything she has. She's spent in this fight. Let me pull up everything she has. She was spent on this fight, and from that round on, she might not lose a round going forward. And I, I think a lot of people gave uh, Serrano maybe the sixth round, but that round something very important happened. I didn't think the commentary team really caught on of what happened. Kate Taylor starts sitting on her shots. And I think that it's out of um, desperation. It's out of, it's a necessary thing that she has to do because I don't think she has the legs. I think she's kind of broken down at that point. So she sits on her shots and she really puts it on Serrano and Serrano's coming forward because she has no respect for anything up until that point. But Kate Taylor lands some big, uh, massive shots. Now Serrano, remember she had just got a bunch of work done the previous round, so she might be a little gassed too. But these shots are landing clean. They never bring it up. They never talk about like, man, these shots are landing clean. Serrano's really taking them, and I think that that point gains respect from Serrano. And from the point that she gains respect, whether you gave that round to her or not, the point where she gains that respect from Serrano, Serrano is not the same fighter. Okay. She has to come in. She's second-guessing herself. She's being very defensive under commitment. She's not just working her way in like she was before. And now that's allowing Kate Taylor to get more confidence. It's giving her the space she needs. Now she's able to just work, right? She's able to get the distance she needs and allow Serrano, to, who's hesitant to come in. As soon as she steps into range, she just explodes on her. She beats her to the punch, and then she moves again. And she moves and beats her to the punch, moves again. Sets. She's able to set the tone of the fight. And from that point on, from the round that I thought she was completely finished, she doesn't lose a round from that point on, in my opinion. And we get to the last round, and Taylor found her legs. She's going good. Serrano bites down, and they just end up in a war in the last round. Now, I'm all right with this fight going either way. I really am. I think that if you have Serrano winning... I, I, to me, I think it was very dependent if that was a 10-8 round. If that was a 10-8 round, I have Serrano winning the fight. If it wasn't, if it wasn't, I have either draw or I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with any decision in this fight. It was a damn close competitive fight. I understand that the first few rounds were, were to me, were very close. Last few rounds could be very close as well. So I'm okay with any way that this fight goes. I thought that, to me, like I said, fight of the year. I thought it was a great moment. I thought um, it delivered. I thought the whole card was great. Um, I think the rematch is going to be amazing. I think that their styles just make, they're just like kind of perfect for each other, right? For what they want to do. I do think that, and especially because Serrano was bringing up her weight after the fight, right? And saying like, well, she's not really a truly this weight class. She's actually lower weight. I think those punches really they really made an impact on Serrano. And I think might be a little bit of doubt on whether in the rematch she'll be able to be as effective coming forward like that. Because if Taylor now sees that she can really hurt Serrano and stop her with those shots, 
Serrano can't come in tentative. Like, the tentative way that she came in in the second half of that fight, it'll always favor Katie Taylor. And that's what I said. I said, if she could make her respect something, this would change the game for Katie Taylor. And respect to Katie Taylor, because I said Katie Taylor was styles kind of amateurish. And I don't, like I said, I don't really necessarily mean that in, like, uh, insult kind of way. It's just the way her style is. It's it's a style that you see a lot in the amateurs where it's like, I'm going to move, and I'm going to score, and I'm going to move again. And it's like a lot of straight shots, um... Kind of, she kind of like stomps in with her shots too. Something you see kind of like MMA a little bit. She's more of a sprinter, um, but she showed that she had a lot of heart. She showed a lot of determination. She showed she was in shape, and she changed her rhythms up a little bit. As far as what shot, you know, when she was jumping in, she wasn't really jumping in on Serrano. She was kind of just finding the range and letting Serrano kind of walk into stuff. And as soon as she knew like I said she knew Serrano was kind of a little tentative on getting in she she really took advantage of that all respect to Katie Taylor and in my opinion is the best if you're doing like a pound for pound list for women I think she's number one in my opinion I think she's number one she has all the accolades and now she has the opponent because this was the Terrence Crawford Earl Spence of women's fighting it was that's what it was and it the fight delivered but she also delivered in the performance she needed to and I'm telling you, go back and look at the fifth round. And look at the, you know, the, you can find it on, like, the zone posted it. Look at the beating she takes. Look how out of her feet she is. And to uh, imagine that she goes on and practically wins every round after that is pretty insane. All credit to her. Great fight. Fantastic fight. Let's talk about the undercard. Uh, you had uh, Liam Smith versus Jesse Vargas. And Jesse Vargas, who isn't, to me, uh, uh, you know, 154, I don't think is his best weight class. I think he's undersized 154. And I, as I was watching the fight, I, I thought, yeah, he looked good. Jesse Vargas kind of usually looks good early in fights. And, you know, Jake Paul's doing commentary on this one. He wasn't bad. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't think he was really bad. I thought he was actually pretty damn good. He made some very good points. But one of the things he said was, like, I noticed in the Mike Garcia fight, he started off strong and then kind of, like, energy dumped. He just couldn't keep up the, um, couldn't keep up the pace or... He didn't look the same level as the fight went on. Another thing that would happen is Jesse Vargas kind of makes a lot of mistakes. Naturally, he makes a lot of mistakes. His legs are kind of all over the place. When he fights with good technique, I think it takes a lot of energy out of him. I think he's really thinking about his technique. I think he's really, it's a lot of, it's a lot for him to stay disciplined and to have good, not, he doesn't like he has ever has really good leg movement, but to stay like, I, th- I think he really has to think about his legs when he moves. And when he gets tired, you can see him stumbling around the ring because he doesn't have those skills like they're not second nature to him. They're not. And he has to really think about them. So when he gets tired, he really starts to fall apart all over the ring. And Liam Smith, who is only 31, but, you know, for some reason, you kind of think in your head like 37, 38. Maybe it's the gray hair. Maybe it's because we've seen him box for a while. And he's kind of like had like uh, huge gaps when he fights. But and I said this on Twitter is like. I thought he was slow. I thought he looked slow. I thought he looked like he couldn't really catch his rhythm. But right when I said that, then he just started working into a rhythm. It just took a little time to get started. Or maybe he knew that Jesse Vargas was slow down. He's like, I'll pick it up, you know, a little bit. Get the, let the first few rounds let him blow out his energy, and then I'll pick it up. Because that's exactly what started happening. And once he started going to the body and getting his combinations going and his rhythm going, it looked pretty damn good. Um, and Jesse Vargas just started falling apart. Kind of the exact same way, like, Jake Paul kind of called in the first round that with Jesse, he knows about Jesse Vargas. So, Jake Paul's pretty damn decent in this, especially the part, there's another part, something I always bring up, and I know that Jake Paul, you know, really does do that work in the gym because 
one thing he said was when they said maybe Jesse Vargas needs to kind of start to box more or it was like something about Jesse Vargas switching his style up. And the thing he said was like, hey, it's kind of hard to switch your style up mid fight. It's it's once you get in the rhythm of doing something, it, it takes a lot of energy to go and okay, now you're going to do this, right? You got to rethink, uh, rebuild your mentality during the fight. Uh, now get in the rhythm of doing the other style. That's experience. Honestly, that, that, you know, say what you want, but Jake Paul, but that's experience to say that and to catch on to that. That's something I always preach it. A lot of these guys are like, oh, you needed to start boxing at that point. It's like, it's kind of hard. Those are kind of t- uh, traits that a, a really a great fighter can do in a fight like that. Jesse Vargas wasn't going to be able to do that. Jesse Vargas was done. You could see that he was done. He was just kind of able to survive. Um, Liam Smith going to go on to, I think, he, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you hear banning him in a match at 154 or maybe a kind of catch weight in between. But I think Connor Ben is an interesting fight for Liam Smith, but I think he's in a good spot. I really do. He could be a guy that just kind of fights a bunch of prospects, but he's a legit threat. Or, you know, 154, it's, there, there's some names out there that you could draw to him that could maybe build him up to become, like, a credible opponent at the guys. And maybe these bouts get dropped soon, you know what I mean? And then he's in position to maybe grab one. Going to see, I think he's an interesting guy at 154. I'm trying to think of the um, remaining part of the undercard. Uh, you had another women's fight that was very good. It was it was a brawl too, and it was funny because like when they said that, they were like, "Oh man, maybe this is the best women's fight on the card," and it was very good. It was a very entertaining uh, fight. Uh, possible Clarissa Shields uh, opponent in the future. Who Clarissa Shields did the commentary, who was very good too. I thought um, the first what was the first opening fight on that card? I'm just like blanking right now. It was a lot of fights. I don't know. I can't think of it right now. Let's go to the Shakur Stevenson Valdez card. And like I said, it was a, it was a packed weekend that this was, um, well, this wasn't the biggest fight of the weekend. I think that Serrano and Kay Taylor was definitely the biggest fight of the weekend. I think that this might have possibly had the, of all the fights it had, this might be the, the possibly the biggest star that you know, at least our future star in boxing in Shakur Stevenson, um, Valdez, who, like I said, had the huge win against Burchout, struggled in the fight after it against Kamsefshaw uh, or Kamsefshaw. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but against he was going against Shakur, and maybe after the Burchout fight, it would have been like more even odds or a little closer. People would have felt better about it, but because of the fight, the last Valdez last fight people were like he's gonna get smoked in this fight now I had picked Stevenson to win I thought he went by unanimous decision wide margin just because Valdez well showed glimpses of it against Burchell and I think what everybody else was kind of figuring out too was if you look at his all his other fights right eliminate his best performance eliminate his worst performance that's kind of what he is he had never really been He's never really been able to show that he was that much above like average fighters, right? Like the B level. He was never really, he was struggling fights. He would kind of have to find his power to find his way out of it uh, to save the performance. So everybody kind of went in there expecting Stevenson to put a, you know, one sided uh, beatdown on Valdez. Now, their level of the beatdown, I think that was what started making the fight more interesting and the level of debate, right? What if Stevenson just outboxes him for 12 rounds? Doesn't get touched. Um, just keeps his distance. Uh, frustrates Valdez. Is that a great performance by him, right? Is he going to be considered 
one of the top guys is going to be as hyped up as Haney or um, Tank or Tiafimo? Is he going to reach that level of hype, right? Or is he going to get the stardom or is it going to be the push that he needs? Or does he need to get the uh, uh, Mayweather versus the Gotti performance where he puts a complete beat down on him, gets a stoppage? So th- we're going into that. And I'm thinking, you know, if Stevenson versus Valdez, Valdez is, uh, to me, at this point, it's like the number what number one or two guy at the weight class because he beat Burchell. And you could bring up other names. It's a, it's a little bit spread out weight class. But this is the, the top two top guys to me fighting each other. And I think that Stevenson, I'm thinking this before the fight, can just 12-0 him. One-sided decision and just shows he's defensively too much. I'd be very impressed. I really would. And I'm not comparing him to anyone else. I'm not, um, I'm going to let Stevenson be him, right? He's not anyone else. I don't need him. I need him to just show me what he's best at. I don't need him to try to do more to entertain or impress me. I, I, I think that that leads down a... A bad path because eventually you're going to lose and then you're just going to blame that. Why, why don't you just do what you're best at and see if it plays out the way you need it to play out. Now, if it doesn't, right, and Stevenson goes on this huge win, wins titles and all these things and still can't get no attention, well, then maybe you have to switch it from at that point. But get to that point. Let's find out what you, you know, you're already in main eventing, right? Top Rank's already putting in main events on ESPN. So, obviously, there's already attention for you, right? They, they find it. The, off of previous performances and viewerships and everything that you are a guy that they can do that to. So I don't be impressive. If you can be impressive and get the stoppage, but I wouldn't force it. I don't think Stevenson forces anything. I think he's pretty smart. He, he's uh memory he's defensive minded. He, he is. And to say that, Oh, he's got to become aggressive and show that, that he could be, has a dog in him. That's a mentality thing. And just because he doesn't come forward, don't mean he doesn't have dog in him. It's just, He's defensively minded. That's what his natural instincts are when he boxes. It's to be defensively uh, and keep a distance and pick his shots and not get hit. That's what it is. It's I, I think that we're trying to use that to like a negative against him. I don't get it. I think he's being judged unfairly. But the, the fight plays out. It's kind of <coughs> what I thought. It's kind of what everybody else thought. It's Valdez's uh, front leg. It seems like he can't really keep up with Shakur's backstep. There's not a lot of people, I, I haven't seen anyone that could be able to keep up with Shakur's backstep. And the what I compared to this fight, and I posted a, something on Twitter about it, was uh, if you remember John Madden, there was a, a version of the game where they added QB vision. And it was like a it was like a cone. And when you were playing when you were playing as a quarterback, you had to move the cone and the you would get your wide receiver in the view in that cone, right? In the highlighted area. And your pass become more accurate. Uh, it was more catchable for the wide receiver. It was kind of hard because some guys would have really short. Like if you, so, if you had a really cheap quarterback, it made it almost impossible. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and that's why I compared this fight to. It's like Stevenson had the whole wide, the best vision you could possibly have in that game. Valdez was very like a tight cone. It felt like he was couldn't see everything that was happening. <clears throat> and he had the high guard tied to his face, and it looked like Stevenson was keeping the range, fighting tall. All right, <coughs> <coughs> uh, sorry. And he was fighting tall, and he was keeping the range, able to pick his shots. That um, Valdez, he just he was helpless in there. 
Now they came in. I was saying they they had a good game plan. <coughs> Ugh, sorry, trying to get over the sickness here. Now the germs are all over my mic, so I will come back and do this in a week and probably get sick again. But I was saying that I thought they had a good game plan, and some people were saying, "Well, how are you going to say they had a good game plan if he wasn't able to execute it?" He did at points, right? He started with a lead right, and he showed that Stevenson was kind of susceptible to that. He did catch him a few times, and that lead right was supposed to work off something else, right? That lead right was supposed to cover the distance, pause uh, Stevenson, and hopefully work the left hook, I'm sure, and is what they were thinking, or double right and work the left hook to the body or at least allow yourself to get on the inside. Now, the right would work, but Valdez uh, didn't work more beyond that. Now, maybe he didn't see the shots or... You know, sometimes something works in camp but didn't work that night, or sometimes it works against sparring partners but ain't gonna work against Kurt Stevenson. But I saw the effectiveness. I saw the effectiveness of uh, that straight right. I said it, it worked, and it he was in position. That straight right did put him in position to do other things, but Shakur Stevenson is very good, right? And when you start landing that and you don't start applying other things, Shakur Stevenson is just going to know that's coming and he'll be able to eliminate that eventually. You had to start getting it working with other things. So at, at least you're like kind of wearing him down or making him think about other things or, you know, um, just being effective early on in the fight. He just wasn't able to do that. I did call that Valdez would get dropped off of being off balance. That's exactly what happened. He got spun around. Shakur catches him. Shakur is going to be a problem for anyone. I, I don't think that he needs these, you know, stoppages. Let me tell you something. If you're a fighter any lesser than Valdez, he will stop you. He will. He has the ability to. Okay, he showed the witch male herring. But he's defensively minded. And I think that he should do what he's absolutely best at. And not let any other thing get in the way of his performance. Because I think that what he's doing and what he's absolutely best at well, someone better show that they can stop that. Then he can show other parts of his game. I'm sure he works with other parts of his game. But until you prove that you can stop that, I wouldn't I wouldn't take away my best part of my game just to prove to the fans something. Okay, I think the fans are going to eventually start following him, whether they just dislike the style, just to see if anyone can break it. It kind of gets to that point, right? Remember the Rubik's Cubes took the world by storm in the 80s? Or was that the 70s? I don't know. That was before I was born. Anything before I was born kind of doesn't matter to me. But... The Rubik's Cube took the world by storm, right? Why? Because no one could solve it. It was, it was Everybody was just like, what the hell? Who's going to solve this first? That's what Shakur Stevenson could He could be the Rubik's Cube. People just want to see the, the, if this is solved at any point. If anyone could come close to solving this. Because no one has come close yet. I think he I think he'd be a very big star. I, I thought his size showed that he's going to go to 135 soon. And I think that him and Devin Haney is just a true 50-50 fight. I think that him versus Lomachenko is a very interesting fight. Um, a lot of people feel that Lomachenko will struggle with the style. I think Lomachenko is not Valdez. And I think that that straight right did show something. I think the Lomachenko's leg moment would be very interesting versus the Stevenson uh, style. But I think Top Rick's in a good position with very good talent between 130 to 140 where they could do a lot of things a, a, a big number a good number of big fights i like what the way shakur looked uh, i did want to talk about um nicole lee walsh and i know that he's probably you know talked bad about basically everyone on boxing twitter and everyone that basically talks boxing and they feel like they're hyping 
him up. Well, no one needs to feel like that. They're definitely hyping him up because there's some relation to Muhammad Ali there. Um, and he gets a lot of hate. But I, I'm going to call it like I see it. He's improving. Now, I don't know if he's ever going to be a world-class level fighter, but he's improving. And I see a lot of the guys on these prelims that I, I don't expect much from. He kind of looked to me, started looking like the guys that were I'm like, I would could see him on a prelim, even if he didn't have all these names. Okay, so he's improving. I'm not going to. And he definitely had, if we were talking about highlight knockout, he had the highlight knockout of the weekend. There's no doubt about it. So this guy has pop. So he has something, right? He has an ability that can separate him, right? And make him effective in, for the competition. Sometimes you just need that one thing. Like, if he can't, sometimes I ask him, like, you got a prospect, I'm like, well, what is he great at? Give me one thing that he, he, this guy can hit. And he's getting more comfortable in the ring. He's getting looser, and he's getting a little style to him. Like I said, I'm not saying he's going to be world level, but I'm going to call it, like I said, he's improving. Also, Keyshawn Davis fought. I heard Keyshawn Davis talk before this fight, and one of the things he said is he ain't going to be fighting no top contenders. Basically, we said on this current deal because he feels like he wants to really grow his audience, and when he does take those top fights, he wants to have uh, a lot of attention for them. I think basically what that means is you got to have to pay him very well by the time he gets to that point. He's very good. There's talks of how good, you know, how what level of fights can he take now, right? Um, what level of contenders can he beat? And I'm sure that he could do very well with with a lot of them. I'm sure he could beat a lot of them. He's that good. That's what he looks like. But I think that's the right thing. The way he's taking it is like, why give these guys any fights um, on the current deal you have, right? That was the whole thing with Tiafimo. And Tiafimo got paid good against Lomachenko, but he thought he could have got more, right? And then they wanted to keep him on his basically the same deal on the fights going forward. Davis wants to make sure that he's taken care of all that settled before he gets in these big fights. So you don't have to worry about that. Smart way, build your build your audience, build your fan base, build the hype. You know the skills are there. They're only going to get better, right? You're very young. Imagine you two years from now, what level you are. And you see that you see the, the guys there. You see the names there. They're going to be there by the time you're ready. I think exactly the way he's doing it. I think he's a very intelligent guy. I think that he's uh, thinking like a professional. And I'm very, very curious to see, you know, over the next two years, let's see what the see what the layout is. And when he's ready to finally make that move, how big of his fan base is it going to, how big of a fan base is going to have? I think it's going to be very decent. I think that fighting on Shakur's undercard is a very, you know, that's the right move. For him, because Chukur, I think, does have a very good fan base and gets very good viewership when he fights on, especially on ESPN. And if you're a fan of Shakur, right, and you like his style, you're really going to like Keyshawn Davis' style. You really are. You're going to like, uh, he's good defensively, he's slick, but he also way more offensive than uh, Stevenson is because that's just more in his mentality. He's more offensive mentality. You got to talk about like the talent top break has between 130 and 140 is insane. And I feel like they just like, and I know they only added really Devin Haney, got kind of now, but it just feels like it just all came together perfectly for those weight classes. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the 
Ezra Podcast.